Well, here we go, Harvest. One more message on thinking clearly about money. And we're, this is the conclusion of this uh, sermon series. And today we're going to be talking about giving. Um, my name is Chris Persons. I'm the pastor of discipleship here at Harvest Bible Chapel. I'm also an elder. Up front, we have Ben uh, Levno and Ed Gall. They're both elders as well. And we wanted to take the opportunity um, as elders, I guess in First Timothy chapter 3, it talks about like elder qualifications, and part of that is to be apt to teach. So I guess we're exercising that muscle together this morning as we bring the word, uh, the three of us together. So we're excited about that. We're also, um, uh, we want to, we're so grateful for everything that Steve does. And uh, I think we take it for granted how maybe how exhausting and how challenging it is to bring the word over and over again each and every week. So this is an opportunity for us to kind of step in and kind of give him a well-deserved break and get some rest, and, and so we're excited to get him back next week, but uh, it's grateful for the opportunity for us to come up here and bring the word a little bit too. Um, also, as we're looking at this sermon series and we're kind of concluding it with giving, uh, Steve had the wisdom to even say like, hey, I think this might be better coming kind of from the elders' um, perspective and bringing the word, so I think that was a wise choice on his part. Yeah, we've gotten a chance to study it a lot this year, so uh, you know we kind of did this together, so this is a cool way to end. Yeah. I even think back, you know, last time we were up on stage, there was all five of us elders up here and we were sharing our testimonies. And I know that um, it seemed like the people, feedback they gave us, that was pretty impactful time to get to know um, you guys each personally and myself as well like that. So we do listen to feedback from time to time. So, um, and if we hear that this wasn't impactful, then you won't see Ben up here again yeah. anytime soon. We'll take care of that. But uh, uh on that note, let me open with a word of prayer and uh, go from there. Lord, uh, uh, we're so grateful to come into your presence once again to roll up to your word. Um, we're talking about wisdom and giving, and there's no wisdom apart from you. And uh, so we need to dive into your word, uh, give Ed and Ben and myself the words that you want uh, to be, be conveyed from your word, not our own agendas or platforms or our own thoughts, Lord. We want your thoughts, Lord. So just use us as a mouthpiece this morning and we also pray, Lord, meet um, each of us uh, where we're at. Let your word penetrate our heart. Let the Holy Spirit do good work in us concerning uh, giving this morning as we read it from your word, we're about it from your word, Lord. So give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Yeah, this is such a cool opportunity to get to partake in this with you guys. So thanks for the opportunity. Uh, as we start out, uh, this is oftentimes when Steve starts looking you guys in the eyeball and asking you questions about what you remember from last week. And I just want you to know that those times make me a little nervous too. Uh, I never seem to remember as much as I thought I did. I take pretty good notes. So this week, I'll set the stage for you, right? Just recap kind of where we've been. So the first week, uh, we talked about Luke chapter 12, where we learned about uh, the rich fool who built another barn for himself because he felt like he had gained so much more. And we talked about ownership. Whose is it really? Who provided that? Uh, and then another part of that message was kind of about anxiety, knowing that uh, you know it'll never be enough. There's more to life than money was the title of that message. And then the next week, I thought Steve just did an excellent job of unpacking Luke 16. That was the story about the um, unjust steward. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, kind of complicated, but understanding how God wants us to use his money to glorify him. 
So that was a couple weeks ago, and then last week was Luke 18. And in Luke 18, we talked about the rich young ruler and learned about how money, uh, having that, can make it harder for us to see Jesus. So we don't want to get distracted. We want to be able to see Jesus clearly, so depend on that uh, and not money. So uh, that leads us to Luke 21. So if you guys now could open up your Bibles and start paging towards Luke 21, let me set the stage a little bit more specifically Uh, So Luke 21, the rest of these messages from the other uh, chapters was part of Jesus' ministry, uh, Galilean ministry, as he was getting started on his way to Jerusalem, though. So now in Luke 21, we're in the middle of, we're in Jerusalem, we're in the middle of Holy Week, and I'll tell you, I think this was the most impactful part of this message when we first looked at Luke 21. Excuse me again, we kind of viewed it one way, but when we looked at it in the context of what the Jesus' teachings and during Holy Week, it kind of changed our approach a little bit. Um, so again, to set the stage, uh, Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, and we see in chapter 19 of Luke, the first thing Jesus does when he arrives in Jerusalem in verse 42 is he weeps. He gets into town and weeps over the city's missed opportunities. The second thing is that he throws the money handlers out of the temple. He's really broken about what his church has become and the potential that the city had and how they've deviated from what his uh, intent was. Um, so the, also, we also see that uh, in the triumphal entry that the people are really excited about Jesus. They're really behind him and supportive, singing Hosanna as he comes into the city, which means that the scribes and the Pharisees are equally as excited to get him out, right? They're battling him. The spiritual warfare going on in these chapters is unbelievable. Almost all of the sayings of Jesus in, during Holy Week here are him in a kind of a battle of words where the Pharisees and scribes are trying to catch him in his teachings, or he's telling parables about how these guys just aren't getting it. So that sets the stage for us here. Um, And because of that, we want to include a couple verses before chapter 21 starts. So uh, Ed is going to pick us up uh, in chapter 20, uh, verse 45. And again, to set the stage, this is Wednesday of Holy Week, and Jesus in the temple at this point teaching, just as he had been doing every day during Holy Week until then. Luke 20, starting at verse 45. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. We're talking on giving this morning was kind of like our assignment, and we want to talk about not just giving, but wisdom on giving, and what does it look to be wise stewards of the, all the stuff that God has given us, in particular money, right? So we want to be wisdom in giving, and in this passage, just starting off, we see kind of like, here we have a broken religious system right, going on and kind of taking advantage, really, of people and abusing their powers and their authorities and um, almost give, giving them a negative light, right, so to speak. So we don't want this to happen. Um, instead, we're going to flip it. And uh, uh, I'm just going to say our first point on wisdom again is where does God want us to give? You know, when we have a wisdom 
thing that we're going after, sometimes it's good to ask some questions. Where does God actually want me to give? And the answer to that question is God, or uh, give consistently to where God is working in my life. Give consistently to where God is working in my life. Let me reread just verses 45 through 47 again. It says, And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware, and that's a strong warning, right? Red flag, warning. Beware of the scribes who walk along in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor uh, at feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So we would say, like, after reading this, this is probably not really the best healthy plot spot to give your money, right? A wise right. choice. And so the first thing that we would warn you is to not give blindly. So if you really take yourself and you put yourself in the middle of the context that Ben has laid, uh, what the situation was, how things were going, and what was going on in the temple... Why were those folks even giving? I mean, what was, if you really stop and think, if you were that person in the temple, why were you even giving? So don't give blindly. That's the first stop. Uh, and then don't give to a broken religion because there was a huge disconnect between what was taught and what was actually being carried out by the scribes and the Pharisees in the temple. So that would be the first. When we go through these, the next verses, we wanted to look at it with five different lenses of how to evaluate a ministry. So the first lens that we would use to look at it is... Does the ministry itself consider itself important or the people involved in the leadership of it consider themselves important? So you look at the scribes, they walked around with long robes and that was all done for a show because they had a position of status. So everybody that looked at them knew right away or had an opinion about what their position was. Right, and not that they don't deem it important, but that they want to look important. They want to look more than what they are. Yeah, for sure. Also from the text, you see that they love greetings, and that has to do with their titles. So they love those greeting plants because, or chances because it was an opportunity to show off like how important they were by their title. So it would be like, here's scribe, so-and-so, uh, PhD, XYZ, whatever initials come after that. And it was an opportunity to, for them to like make themselves feel affirmed, all right? So they had a desire to be affirmed. And we say, that's kind of a healthy thing in a church kind of like setting, right? That the leaders would want affirmation, basically. Yeah, another warning, something to watch out for where you give would be people that are seeking the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. The benches in the synagogue nearest the chest where these sacred scrolls were housed, that was where all the people sat that wanted to be seen, the people of high status. And that's what these people craved was to have those VIP spots and be seen. It was about them. Another warning would be for a desire of what's not theirs. In other words, greed. Um, one thing that really struck us as we read through here, which I don't think we'd ever seen before, is devourers, widows, houses. So widows were not of a very high status in the first place. Well, the religious leaders were devouring their houses through advice that they'd given them, through uh, different means to get uh, the money back to them. They were taking their houses away from them. Yeah. And they were handling their estates, helping them. Yeah, which is, I mean, the sad part about that, Ed, is what, what does really the New Testament say that we should do with widows, right? We should be taking care, care of, of them. them. So they're doing the opposite, taking advantage of them, which is sad to see for sure. And then also in the text, you see uh, that they had long prayers. And uh, I can just picture them in the temple just kind of like uh, standing up in front of everyone, being very loud, very voiturous, throwing in a few, a few these and thous maybe to sound kind of like self righteous in a lot of ways. So they had a desire to sound important. And uh, all these things, all these lenses stack up to like a place where as I'm evaluating a ministry where I should maybe give my money, these would be all five like red flags and say like this wouldn't be the wisest place necessarily for us to give God's money to. But 
Um, thankfully, even though this passage is very on the, like, maybe we're not to give unhealthy, right? Um, we want to give wisely, so does the rest of the Bible give us a perspective of where? Yes. So we don't want to give blindly, like in this situation, but we want to give biblically, all right? So let's look at a couple other passages. Turn over to Malachi chapter 3 uh, with me just real briefly. Malachi chapter 3, and while you're turning there, uh, I want you to first remember in our giving it's that we're not First, giving it to an organization or a business or a church or even a person, we're giving it to the Lord, right? That's the overarching thing is that when we uh, give, it's because he's blessed us and that everything that we have is actually his and we're just giving a portion back to him. Now, since we can't go to heaven and just lay it at his feet, right? We, he does give us some direction, though, of a, where we should give our, our giving, right? So look at Malachi 3.10 to start with. It says, bring the full tithe, and the word tithe actually literally means like 10%, right? So just like the word dozen means 12, it doesn't mean eight or six, or, you know, if you went to a bakery and ordered a dozen donuts and they gave you nine, you'd be like, what? <laughs> right? So here, the word for tithe actually means 10%, right? So bring in a tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to a test, says the Lord of hosts. And I will open up the windows of the heaven and you for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So here we see, once again, the tithe literally means 10%. They're supposed to bring it to the storehouse. That was the local storehouse, right? And from that storehouse, the priest would be able to live off of that food and uh, tithes that were brought in for their livelihood, right? So that they can could continue to do the work of the Lord, right? So what if people weren't bringing in the full tithe? Well, that means there wasn't enough food to go around, so the priest then would have to stop doing the work of the Lord and start providing for themselves by doing farming, which is, this is a huge problem, right? Because they want to see the work continue to go on. Also, if they weren't bringing it in, there was enough to share with the needy and other people that would have it. So this was a big deal. And so God was saying in this context of this passage, if you look even farther or read on or even before in the context, he wasn't saying that you're robbing these priests or the poor. He says, ultimately, right, you're robbing me, right? Going back to that overarching kind of principle. So the tithe is supposed to be the first fruit and you kind of bring it in, like make it the priority of your budget, right? So you put it on the first line item, like God first and then following me and everything, all my needs, right? Uh, there's also in the Bible, that talks about our offering, right? And that's supposed to be giving, that's kind of like the last thing in your budget. That's supposed to be giving out of the surplus, your abundance, right? Uh, that you can give uh, to other things as well. And then in the New Testament, we have 1 Timothy 5, uh, verses 17 and 18. It says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. So consideration in the New Testament would be for the local church on a regular basis because that's a place where you're being fed. Uh, you come here every week and you're taught the Word of God, you're inspired by the Word of God and hopefully growing in the Word of God. Your children are downstairs being ministered to by faithful teachers. Uh, so this is kind of the first place where you're being fed spiritually. A couple other verses that also pertain to what we're speaking of is 1 Corinthians 9, 3 through 12. And Luke 10, 7. And then beyond the local church, think about other Christian-based ministries, ones that have strong ties to the local church. They're out ministering in the community, but then they reflect back to the church to get folks to get uh, going to the local church. Uh, in all this, think about Matthew 6, 21. So where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So here every week, uh, your heart's fed here. Should your treasure be here as well to serve the Lord in this church? Yeah, that's great. It goes right back to our point. Give consistently 
or uh, consistently to God where he's working in my life, right? So that's the, we're showing up here on Sunday morning at under the umbrella of the local church. Harvest Bible Chapel has, is the, our name, right? And uh, I trust that each of you are here because you see God working in your heart and life, and you see God working through uh, Harvest and other people's heart and life, and that's where this is like the local storehouse, so to speak. Right. So in addition to contrasting these lenses where we learn about the poor example, we've said we're, gonna, we're called biblically to give to God, to a healthy local church. Those are the verses that Ed shared. And then we're also called to give to one another. Uh, a couple more passages here, Acts 2, uh, 44 and 45. Towards the end of Acts, we see a lot of our model for what the early church was like in small group. And 44 says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any who had need. And then in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, now concerning the collection for the saints. He goes on to say, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, I know that's a lot of verses that we just gave you there, but there's a lot of New Testament support here for this message that we're called to give to God, to a local church, to one another. Again, it's where, where's God working in your life? It made me think of uh, the one another's that we studied in our group on uh, Uncommon Community book. We're called to serve and to be devoted to one another, and we can do that with our finances as well. Yeah, small group is a great place for that to happen for sure. Yeah, so I just wanted to take a minute here to kind of talk about how this message and, and really this topic has changed the Levno family giving. Uh, when we were in the military, we moved around a lot. We weren't members of any church. We weren't really as invested as we are here. Uh, so we, we gave to quite a few other organizations. Uh, for example, there were some parachurch organizations that were really instrumental in my wife and I accepting Jesus. Uh, so we wanted to see those continue to flourish. So we gave to them. Uh, we also had friends that left the Marine Corps and directly went right to the mission field. They served in the Czech Republic, and we trusted them a ton. We wanted to see them be successful. And we also, I mean, the Compassion Kids, that's a great thing to be invested in as well. Uh, but when we looked uh, at but where our heart was, right? I think Ed's verse was really instrumental. Uh, where your treasure is there, where your heart will be. It was like split five ways, right? Uh, and, uh, and we continue to give that way. I was telling Chris this, like really honestly, up until about a year and a half ago, we were members of this church. We were small group leaders, but because we had, in some aspects, given blindly, we hadn't reevaluated. Even though we were members here, we're coming here every week to get fed, we were still giving that same way where our heart was split in five different areas. So we really felt like God was calling us back to that scripture of, hey, if you're going to be fed here, if this is your church home, you need to give our, your first 10%. So we decided that, hey, we're going to give our first 10% to harvest and then those other ministries, if they're still going to get uh, support from us, it's going to have to come from the offering, right? In addition to that tithe. And, and those are some hard conversations that we had with those people that we knew and loved. We called them and said, hey, we're changing our giving around, and here's where the circumstance was. And it was just amazing to see how God really kind of changed their, I mean, changed our hearts. And they, the, the way that they responded was a clear sign that we were making the right decision. They understood that, that the healthy local church is where we were fed you know, most of the time. So uh, that's really how God has changed our hearts about it. And because we're being fed here, we wanted our first fruits to come here. No, thanks for your sharing your testimony about giving, Ben, and how God worked in your heart with that. So let's turn it to application, right, to our own hearts and lives, and just be thinking about, like, do I know where my money is going as far as giving going? Is it to a tr trustworthy, healthy 
you know, missional focus, not like here in Luke, you know, 20, 21. Um, are we giving a, a tithe to the local church? And I love that Malachi passage, she was going back to it, like it says test God in that, even with it, like, test me, bring your full tithe in and see how I'll provide for you, right? And it's really the only spot in the scripture where God says to test him, like usually that's a bad thing to test God, right? But he says like this, like, I'll take care of you, like, just trust me with this, just bring it in. And uh, maybe the application for you this morning is like, hey, I just need to, uh, you know, trust God that I need to bring it all into here and see what God can do and how he's going to take care of my needs and do so willingly and make it a priority in my budget as well. So we covered, you know, wisdom on giving. We covered the where, right? Uh, another question we could ask is like, how does God view my giving, right? Does he have a even perception of like how I'm giving and how he views it? And I think we see from this scripture that he does. So we want to, we'd say to answer that question, we want to give freely from a generous heart. Like that's the heart that we want to go after here. Yeah, and this was really the scripture that we first thought that we were going to be focusing on. So let's read the first four verses of chapter 21 again together. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So... When you think about how, right? What's the heart behind this widow giving? What, what do you guys think? I'll ask for some interaction now. What, how did that widow give? Sacrificially. Sacrificially, exactly. I mean, that's what we thought. We looked at each other when we got this scripture passage. like, how are we going to talk for 40 minutes about sacrificial giving, right? This must be it. This is pretty simple. But when we looked at the rest of the passage surrounding it, there's more to it than that. I mean, sacrificial is not the wrong answer, but we're really excited to share with you all about what we learned from studying this, scrap, this scripture as a whole. So if, if we were to view this as just a giving message, it seems a little bit out of the rest of the context, right? Before that, Jesus is talking a lot about how the Pharisees just aren't getting it and kind of this war of words. And then after that, it's the crucifixion and, and kind of the end of times. Uh, so this four verses on giving would be a little bit uh, separate from what the rest of the theme is. The other verse that I thought of at first when we were going to focus on sacrificial giving was Matthew 9, 13. That was a verse as I was kind of transitioning from Catholicism to away from that. And then Matthew 9, verse 13 says, Go therefore and learn what this means, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That was the first thing that popped into my head. Are we really, is God really calling us to give sacrificially when in that verse he's saying like, No, I want your heart. So it reminded us that he's not as worried about the actions, he's more worried about the heart behind it. And we're going to talk more about that. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time actually talking about that. Uh, the other thing that uh, we were convicted about is what we superimposed on this message. Nowhere in here does Jesus actually say that the widow's offering was good right? I was kind of surprised by that. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we have this impression of, of what we hear and we, and we can easily superimpose things. The other thing we joked about was that we all pictured that this widow, right, was maybe with a walker or a cane, like stumbling up to these offering bars, but it, it doesn't say that. What else, guys, are we superimposing on verses? That's a dangerous path to go down. Um, so we were just convicted to, hey, let's share this message for exactly what the, the scripture says that it is. So we want to look at, again, the heart. And not saying that sacrificially couldn't be part of it, but we think also that there's an obedience there. Uh, so we're going to contrast kind of giving that God loves and giving that grieves God. So if the widow was being 
faithfully obedient, where I know this is a broken system. She's prayerfully considering whether she should give or not. And she says, I'm going to give because God is bigger than this broken system. And he can use these two coins, even though the rest maybe have went to the wrong thing, he could use them for the right thing. Or he could turn it around with these two coins. That'd be faithfully obedient. And that would be giving that God loves. On the other hand, if she's being blindly obedient, if she's not thinking about it, if it's just a ritualistic behavior, here I am again, I'm at the temple, everyone's watching, I need to give, then that would be giving that would grieve God. So blind versus faithful obedience is the first heart that we wanted to examine from this passage. Yeah. And we don't know the widow's heart, so that's why we're like, it could be this or it could be this. And uh, we get indication for the rest of the scripture, though, that these two hearts are really either love, he loves or he grieves over our giving in this way. So yeah. I would say uh, the next uh, kind of bucket under uh, grief or uh, giving that he loves, um, the widow's heart could be that she really didn't expect anything in return. Like she's just being open-handed and this is the place where it's just available for her to give. And so she's giving there and she's just like, do what you want, Lord. And I think that's a heart that pleases the Lord is just like, we don't have some expectations that we're going to necessarily get something in return from the Lord. Uh, on the other hand, though, her heart could have been um, expecting something into in return, more like conditional, right? Like, Lord, if I give you these last two cents that I have, these last two coins, then um, I expect like tenfold back, right? Kind of like a prosperity gospel, or maybe it was a poverty gospel where she was just like, man, if I'm as poor as dirt, I'm just going to throw these last two in and then I'll be in God's favor because I have nothing other than him. Or it could be that she was buying her salvation. Or, and it's really an example going back to um, Luke 20, the first through three verses that we read, like part of that was like, uh, it said that the scribes in this broken religious system were devouring widows, right? Taking advantage of them and really squeezing. So this is like verses one through four. It's kind of like an illustration of how they are, right? Taking advantage and how they're corrupt and they're squeezing it. So the rich here is like squeezing the poor for everything they can get out of them instead of helping them so that they can have abundance instead. Right, yeah, manipulation. I mean, we know the gospel to be that, you know, it's Jesus that came and died for us. We can't earn any of it on our own. Yeah. So that manipulation is, uh, you know, a heart that we don't yeah. want to foster here for sure. And she might have been buying into that then, yeah. like, yeah, okay, if I buy into this. Yep, good. She could also have been giving out of a cheerful heart. So in Second Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, it says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That could have been the state of her heart. She could have been a cheerful giver, and she could have been glad to give those last two coins that she had. The other side of her heart is she could either have been despondent or angry. Um, you look at the two coins, so just think in your world. You have two coins left, and that's all you've got. Not going to go very far with that in life. Uh, she could have just been, okay, there it is. Uh, everything else is gone. She could have been one of the widows that was affected by the devouring of the houses, or she might have had friends who were, and she's just like fed up with the whole religious system and out of kind of anger, frustration. It's like, all right, there you go, guys. You've got it all. There it is. Yeah. Yeah, it also could be a trust thing. Uh, if that's something that permeates all of these heart conditions is where does our trust lie? Uh, when we look at the Greek word that was used for rich, it's defined as someone who does not have need. The poor uh, was defined as anyone who doesn't have what they need to survive. 
So you've got the one group that uh, has what they need, but they're still not giving a, a lot. You know, they're just giving a little bit. Where does their trust lie? And then you've got the widow who is poor. By definition, she can't meet all of her needs, and she's giving everything that she has. Um, but also, that's not superimpose anything. Rich doesn't necessarily mean millionaires, right? Last week, Steve challenged all of us and said, we're all in that category. We're all rich. That really speaks to me. And, and here in this spot, uh, there's a fine line between being a good steward and clinging too tightly to your money. Where does your trust lie? I'm trying to discern where is the best place for me to spend my money, and I'm gripping so tightly to that money that I'm no longer trusting God with it. Uh, but so that could be, that was the rich, right? Maybe they're not horrible people. They're just trying to discern where's the right thing. But again, where does their trust? They're gripping that money so tightly. I think if the widow's heart was that this money is your money, it was yours to begin with, I'm holding it loosely, here you go, uh, then that would be a condition that certainly uh, God loves. Yeah, and since the rich were, it says, giving out of their abundance and surplus, really, they're just, they had... They have to trust, right? They know they're going to be taken care of. So they're throwing an extra for sure. And, and then, trusting themselves and Yeah, the trusting money. themselves and, and their money for sure. Um, last, we'd say giving that God loves is uh, when it's done for his glory and to further his kingdom. Now, we don't see that uh, necessarily in text, but we know from 1 Corinthians 10, 31, like whether you either drink, do all for the glory of God, right? So does giving fall under the category of all? We would say yes, it does, right? So we want to do that. For God's glory, for sure. But then we see in this passage, though, uh, Luke 21, that um, the rich were doing it for kind of their own glory, so to speak, and uh, for their attention. So you picture the offering box was like a metal kind of trumpet-looking container. And uh, so when people would give, it would always make a noise. So the widow, you know, she throws in her two... Uh, last coins, and that's what it sounded like. But then the rich would be sitting there for a long time, getting all their abundance, and just like throwing in a little bit at a time, right? And pretty soon people are thinking, what? Like, oh man, look how much that person's giving, right? They're doing it really for kind of their own glory and show, basically, um, and attention, right? So it really seemed like that was what it was designed for. I mean, when we look at how the synagogues were designed and those coffers, they were made of like clanging, you know, yeah. a trumpet, I mean, ceramic, whatever it was, it would have sounded just like that. Yeah. So this is a good heart check for all of us as we you know, conclude this series on giving. Uh, what are your motives behind your giving? Just ask the Spirit to reveal to you. Spend some time this week in application points. Spend some time asking them, you know, am I giving out of a right heart? Is this really the, the right way to give? Or am I giving out of obligation or the other things that would be negative? Yeah, it's so easy. I think that's a great question to ask. Like, how's the spirit stirring uh, during your giving? And how does that, because it's so easy, like even for me, like when we give um, to do so kind of like out of ritual or, you know, like very thoughtless, so to speak, you know, just throw the check in the offering bag and, you know, it doesn't make the noise or anything. So I can't get my own glory, but just throw it in there. And it's just so easy to do it out of habit or even thinking about this offering coming up really on December 17th and just uh, in my head thinking about like wrongly, right? Um, like, oh man, there must be a certain expectation that I need to meet because I'm on staff, I'm an elder and it has to be this month or otherwise it won't meet that expectation. That would be giving out a compulsion, right? Uh, and reluctantly instead of like, what does really God have uh, for us to give as a family? So each of you, uh, we encourage you to examine your own heart um, and see where you're at with the giving uh, that either grieves God or, grieving, or giving that actually God loves. So we talked about wisdom on giving, we covered the where, right? 
where you're consistently fed and you see God's at work. Uh, we talked about uh, the how and your heart attitude behind it. And uh, so let's transition now to uh, when I give uh, to my church, what should I expect? And uh, really under this, we want to give God the opportunity to work through me. So uh, knowing that giving is really a part for God to work in my own heart and life first and then as I give, though, financially, uh, then I can see God's work at hand and do great, amazing things, right? So let me read uh, Luke 21, verses 5 and 6 one more time. It says, And while some were speaking of the temple, and uh, from the parallel passage in Mark, which we won't read, but we know this is Jesus and his disciples are now leaving the temple. And they're kind of looking back, and the disciples, in their fondness, basically say um, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, uh, so they're kind of like oohing and awing over like this big, magnificent kind of church or temple that they made, right? And once again, uh, I think Christ is probably somewhat grieved because it's like misuse of the money probably too, too far of an extent, right? And Christ says to them in verse 6, it says, And for these things that you see, the days will come uh, when there will not be left uh, here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And that's him prophesizing because soon after this, it wasn't that many years where the Romans actually came in, uh, took over the place, and really burnt down this temporal like dwelling house, right, or temple church, and destroyed it. Um, so we want to make sure that we are using uh, the gifts that God is giving Harvest Bible Chapel for his glory, that we have the opportunity to be worked through and be a part of something greater than we are. And as elders, we want you to really envision what God can do with your giving. Uh, we even think back to the balance book that we're doing in our small group ministry uh, with Andy Stanley, and one of the quotes that he says that really impacted Ben and myself as well, uh, God does not want something from you. You, he has something for you instead. Um, God doesn't necessarily need your money, right? But it's an opportunity for you to grow and then to be on the front row seat and be a part of something even greater, right, uh, situation. Yeah, it's just like serving here. This was the first church that really changed my envision that, you know, God doesn't need you to serve, but when you serve, there's a blessing that goes along yeah. with it. God can use that. And I think any of us that are involved in that, which is a lot of you in this church, can attest to it. And I think giving, what we're really learning here is the same way, right? God yeah. doesn't need your money. He's going to do his will regardless, someone else, or he's going to use some other resources. But you're yeah. going to miss out on that blessing then, that opportunity to yeah. grow closer to him. He's got plans for you. Yeah. That's great. So when, when we're talking about when we give to the church, this last point, we're really turning it on us as elders, like, hey, what is our responsibility? Uh, and we can communicate that to you guys. So we're going to start off with maybe what you should not expect when you give, right? It's always good to see both uh, contrast a little bit. So what not to expect? We would say praise for man. Praise for man is not something that you should expect. So if, if Ben was able to put in $20,000 uh, on December 17th to the building fund, which would be great if he did, Ben, by the way, but um, <laughs> if he's able to do that, um, he stuck it in the offering plate and it went by, um, you know, Ed and, and myself or the staff wouldn't know that, right? Because it would be done in secret and privacy, right? So uh, for Ben to then anticipate us to be like, hey, Ben, way to go, way to give, like, you're awesome, like, you're top notch, like, that would be the wrong hat attitude heart attitude, right? So we'd say praise for man. Don't expect that necessarily. Yeah, don't expect that or don't expect a place to influence. Uh, we don't want to use our giving as a bartering chip to get the church to do what we want. I feel like this is a good heart issue. If you've ever thought that this church or another church you've been involved in has ever made a bad decision and then you've reevaluated your giving as part of that. 
I mean, we don't want to use that as a threat. We don't want to use our money to threaten, maybe I'm going to change my giving so that the church will recognize and then have my way. Uh, that would be about us. And that's exactly what Jesus is reminding us or warning us about in the first part of this passage that we studied. And also, as you give your money, it doesn't uh, increase your position of power within the church. You don't automatically go to the top of a future leadership list, or uh, you're not raised up in that manner as well. So your money is not used to gain control or to gain power in the church. Yeah, any of those three things, like Ben said, that would lead to more of a corrupt religious system that we see in this passage here, right? If that's our heart behind those things. But what, what to expect, like as we... Uh, collect money for God and uh, what should we expect and how we handle it. So I think that's a good question. So you can expect from the elders that we're going to keep the money on, on mission, basically, right? That we're going to use the money to make disciples for his glory and honor. So one question that we ask sometimes uh, when we're first uh, talking about budgeting is like, hey, where do you see God at work? And if you see God at work and disciples are being made, then let's make sure that money is going that direction for discipleship, right? So that's what you could expect. Yeah, another thing you should expect from us is to value the eternal over the temporary. The primary mission of Harvest Bible Chapel Rochester will always be to make disciples. Uh, I hope you heard Jesus's, like Chris said, he was not pleased with the disciples' attention towards this temple. He said, hey guys, remember, it's all going to be destroyed. All the things here, the, the, going back to Matthew chapter 6 that Ed shared about where the, your treasure is, there your heart will be. There's a warning in there about the threat of moths and rust and thieves. All the things here on the earth are temporary. We're not going to take them with us. So we want you to know that you can expect us, us to focus on uh, eternal things. We tithe. We set money aside of the money that you give us for God to work. We have harvest care where we give back to one another. So we try to stay vertical and uh, you know, stay away from the temporary. The other thing that you can expect from us in addition to those is overall biblical stewardship. So we just want to finish up talking here about some very practical things that happen in the elder room when we meet uh, so that we can stay away from those warnings that Jesus warns us about. Um, so a biblical stewardship principle is obviously prayer, guys. I really wanted this point. I said, Chris and Ed, like, I'd love to talk to the church about how amazed I was at the time that we devote in the elder room to prayer. Uh, I've been in a lot of meetings when I was in the military. I was a staff officer, meetings all the time and at Mayo. And there's always this tension, like, I want to accomplish all these things and there's never enough time. And that same tension happens in the elder room, but with their space provided at the beginning, the middle, and the end for prayer, there's about a half an hour of the two hours that we meet that's devoted to prayer time because we know that it's not going to be us with the right agenda items or you know driving this ball down the court is going to get us in a building it's going to be God so I've been really encouraged by that and uh, you know to a very specifically, it's growing me, and I think us as a whole, like we're fasting, we're praying, and, and it, it hasn't happened yet, but that's just growing our dependence on him. And for me, it's really spilling over and into other areas. So prayer is a thing that we've put in place to make sure that we're stewarding the money wisely. And uh, we also feel the ownership and responsibility of the budget. Guys, it's going to be an $800,000 budget for our church next year. Thank you so much for your giving, your generous giving. That's a huge weight that we feel, though. We're not qualified for that. Um, so uh, we're not taking any decisions lightly. Buildings, staff decisions, speakers here on the stage, none of that can be made lightly. We, every month, get a, uh, the same kind of profit and loss statement that a four-company 
for-profit company would have, we're getting every month as an elder board to take a look at where exactly is our money going. And uh, uh, the other thing we're doing right now in this season is deciding exactly where the budget allotments are going to go for next year. And I say season because by the time it's all decided on in December, we will have spent about five hours four separate meetings talking about this. These things aren't taken lightly, so we just want you to know that we feel the ownership and the weight of stewarding that, those resources. And as the budget has grown also, we're trying to be more, we're learning more about uh, the budgeting process and church finances as well. So we spent time this year in a book and we've uh, learned more about how we should be doing our finances. We have a deacon who specifically oversees the area of our finances and gives us a report monthly about how things are going as well. We also had a consultant come up from the Chicago area to visit with us about where we were at financially in our building search, so we got that information from him. And uh, so we're just trying to be more competent, more diligent. Like Ben says, the money's growing, so we've got to be diligent on our end, too, to keep growing in our abilities to, to uh, handle it. Uh, also, we make our decisions in community. We don't make decisions. It's not that one person drives the ship. It's not that you know, there's a coup or whatever that forms, but uh, we stack hands on decisions as elders. So everything gets decided together in unison as we stack hands on the decisions. Yeah, talking about community a little bit coming off that is also healthy accountability, right? And that's a key to anything that you're talking biblical stewardship, accountability has to be in place. So there's stuff like spending limits and staff credit card limits and even monthly reports, monthly check-ins and questions asked if it's a little high or, you know, all those things are healthy accountability. Uh, other accountants are involved and also just transparency with our members too. Like we have our annual members meeting and we want to show like, hey, this is where the last uh, your giving was last year and this is where it went, you know, and these are the buckets it went into. So there's healthy accountability uh, for transparency, I would say, that is taking place. Um, so that's part of biblical stewardship for, for sure. So we were going to talk a little bit about uh, 100% Sunday coming up, December 17th. The video that uh, with Steve, our senior pastor, was excellent and very informative, right? So we want everyone to be here 100% involved. Uh, celebration of the conclusion of the Madison trip, which so many of you gave to time and financially, right, of yourselves uh, with your gifts as well. Um, that 100% Sunday, we're also taking an offering. It doesn't mean that because it's 100% uh, Sunday that we're expecting to bring 100%, all right? But we do want you to use this like giving series, right, to really examine your heart, and maybe this would be a good step in like why you should give a little bit. And then I want to assure you as elders that we're not, gonna, we're not in the process of trying to get a building to worship the building. The building, is not a, the building is not the end of it all. The end of it all is we want to glorify God in Rochester. We want God to be glorified in this town. There's thousands of people in this town that need to know him. We feel that the building is a tool that we need to, to impact the community. That's what we're all about. So all of you check me up on this. If we ever get into that building and we've arrived and we feel like there's nothing more to do, would you please come up and hit me? <laughs> so we, it's a tool. We want to glorify God. We want to make disciples. It's just another avenue. It gives us more days of the week that we can do ministry. That's what it's looked at as. So don't think that it's a means to an end. Yeah, it's all for discipleship for sure. So when you came in, you should have got a bulletin, but you also should be handed one of these dollar bills, right? Uh, just so you know, these are not actual dollar bills, so don't put that in the soda pop machine on your way out. you probably clog it up. Um, but on the back, you have the sermon title, right? Or the sermon series title, Thinking Clearly About Money. So this is the last of a four-week series, and it, it's just a good opportunity to think about and reflect over the last four weeks, what has God taught me? What is he pressing into me about? How is he convicting me? How has he encouraged me? 
in my walk concerning money from a biblical standpoint, right? So uh, maybe this morning, uh, so we want, we gave you some blank on the side so that way you can take some notes and that's what we would encourage you to do before you leave this morning, like write down, like what is God teaching you? What are some tangible action steps? Maybe from this morning's message, it's just like, where do I give, right? Where do I need to bring in the full tithe? Where do I need to increase or decrease my giving? All those things. And you can work that out between you and the Lord for sure. And then maybe it's how you give. Maybe you're, you know, it's more your heart attitude. Am I giving cheerfully? Am I giving in a trustworthy way to God for God's glory out of faithful obedience, not really expecting anything in return? Maybe it's something with your own heart that you need to take and just uh, turn from and turn to biblically the right heart attitude and motive. It could be a lot of things. So, um, Ben and Ed, it's been a privilege to do this time with you and open up the word. Thank you guys for being a part of this conversation. Let me close this in prayer. Uh, dear Lord, we just uh, thank you for uh, being a God who loves us, who listens to us, um, who entrusts us with so many good uh, things, Lord, much more than we deserve at times, Lord, for sure. So, uh, Lord, we want to steward your money well. Uh, thank you for laying this series on Steve's heart. Uh, in a way of making disciples, uh, talking about biblical stewardship, Lord. We want to see money accurately the way that you want us to see it, Lord. So continue to do that good work that you started in our heart um, over the series with money. Continue to do that, Lord, and help us to think about um, how we can give uh, generously um, even to this building uh, fund that's coming up on December 17th, Lord. We thank you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen.